Hello, and welcome to Sundays at Coastal. This Sunday, Pastor Paul Dugan gives us a sermon titled Bold Love from the book of 1 John in chapter 2. Some of us approach Jesus as visitors rather than abiders. We come to wave to him every once in a while in church, but we have not intentionally gone out of our way to invite him into our everyday lives. To abide in Jesus, we must deal with the noise that competes for our attention. Noise can be both internal and external. Noise can make us deaf to the voice of God. Our current epidemic of distraction is robbing many of us of the ability to be present. Present to God, to other people, to our own souls, and to all that is good, true, and beautiful in our world. Slow down, let go, and abide in Christ. Um, We believe three things at Coastal, and they're summed up in three words, hope, trust, and restoration. And those three words summarize the narrative of the whole of Scripture. There is hope beyond this world's brokenness. Is that good news? The mess that we've made of his world since Genesis 3. And that hope is centered. The whole story comes to a climax in the person of Jesus who is a crucified and risen king and he's in the room right now. And he's worth the full weight of your trust. And the story's not over because the rest of the New Testament is he gives his church his mission in the world to be a part of his restoration work. And that's what we're a part of. That's the third part of the story is we get to join him in his restoration work. And those three beliefs lead to three choices. Can you say this with me? We are disciples who walk intentionally with God. Therefore, I choose to be changed by Jesus. I choose to seek Jesus first. And I choose to join Jesus in his resurrection work. And we do that now. We choose to seek you, Jesus, right now. In this moment, we choose to be changed by you. We give you permission to meddle with our souls. Because you are for us. And we choose to join you in your resurrection work right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, there's an all-out war going on for your attention. Columbia Law School professor Tim Wu, in his sweeping book about the digital marketing industry, entitled The The Attention Merchants, tells the story of our distraction sickness, who engineered it, who benefits from it, and how it became so pervasive. He explains how the digital merchants harvest your attention for financial gain. To flourish, this industry needs people who are perpetually distractible, (laughs) who are unable to turn off. Wu concludes, one thing I learned from writing this book is this. We are not that great at paying attention to what we decide to pay attention to. (laughs) So I invite you, literally, as we're on the eve next Sunday begins Holy Week, the week we call holy, the Friday we call good, to join me in resisting the beast. Do you want to do it? To pay attention to what we pay attention to. What you give your attention to, friends, is the person you become. 
Your mind is the portal into your soul. Enter John, 1 John 2.28. Can you read it with me? And now, dear children, abide in him. This is why John says abide in him. Because there is a war going on for our attention. And everybody abides in something. Amen? The wonderful word, it's in Greek, it's meno. Can you say that, meno, with me? Okay, go home and say, I can speak Greek now. Is one of the Apostle John's favorite terms. Listen to these words of Jesus in John's Gospel. I am the vine, y'all are the... The one who abides in me, and I in him, bears much... For apart from me, you can do nada. To abide in Jesus is to dwell in Jesus, to make my home in Jesus, to remain in Jesus. And there's a big difference between visiting and abiding. When Kathy and I moved into our neighborhood in Bohemian Los Osos, (laughs) we went into it having decided we were not visitors not temporary residents. We're going to be all in for the long haul. We actually call our house our feet first house because they're going to have to carry us out feet first. (laughs) So we immediately introduced ourselves to our neighbors. We learned their names. We began to walk the neighborhood. We checked in with neighbors during COVID. We accepted invitations to their crazy gatherings. We have noticed that those who are temporary renters don't engage with the rest of us as much. It's as if they have roots elsewhere, and as a result, we don't get connected. Some of us approach Jesus this way, as temporary renters rather than abiders. We wave at him every once in a while in church, but he is longing to be invited into our everyday lives. Amen? I just want to ask you, are you a visitor or an abider? To abide in Jesus means we must deal with the noise that competes for our attention. Noise can be both internal and external. Digital noise is one thing, but mental noise is even more difficult to control. At least your smartphone has an on-off button. I wish I had one here. Muting our anxious thoughts is another thing. Noise can make us deaf to the voice of God. Our current epidemic of distraction is robbing many of us of the ability to be present. Present to God, present to others, present to our own souls, present to all that is good, true, and beautiful in God's world. Until I stop... I'm not always aware of my anxious motivations, my pride, my fear, my shame, my self-salvation projects, my strategies to prove something. You see, I can medicate myself from, from, with busyness so I don't have to face all that stuff. Can anybody relate? I believe abiding begins as we push pause on the noise, both internal and external, and practice and breathe, and practice holy silence in the presence of God, taking a few deep breaths and praying a simple prayer. Here I am, Lord Jesus. Would you like to do that right now? 
All right, let's push pause on the internal noise. Let's practice holy silence. Take a few deep breaths, and with each breath, welcome the Holy Spirit into your body. And then breathe out the distraction. And would you join me in saying, here I am, Lord Jesus. Here I am, Lord Jesus. Amen. So can we uh, review uh, 1 John so far? Yes, Pastor Paul, let's do it. All right. Can you read with me? This is the opening three few verses of this amazing letter. Read it with me. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have gazed at, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. That life was displayed, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and we announce to you the life of God's coming age, which was with the Father and was displayed to us. That which we have seen and heard, we announce to you so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus the Messiah. Amen. When you plug the words of this short letter of 1 John into a computer, they come out in a graphic, I love wordles, by the way, like this. The more a word appears, the larger the word. Are you guys with me on that? Notice the big words in John. What are they? God. No. Love. Son. World. One. Father. Life. And abide. John's message is this. If we want to deal with God in the right way, we have to learn to love in the right way. And we learn to love by looking at God's, how God loves Jesus' style. This kind of love changes this world, amen? Jesus' style love. And so fast forward to chapter 2, verse 28. Can you read it with me? And now, dear children, abide in him, so that when he is revealed, we may have boldness and may not be put to shame before him at his royal appearing. Why do we abide in Christ? Because the presence of God heals my shame. Remember our story back in Genesis 1 and 2. God created a complex and beautiful world and placed humans, his royal image bearers, right in the middle of the garden. He gave us a job to partner with him in ruling, cultivating, and caring for God's world, to live in shalom, an intimate relationship with God and one another. But instead of trusting our good creator, what did we do? We listened to the deceiver. We sought to rule on our own terms. And what was the first thing that Adam did after taking the forbidden fruit? That was the second thing he did. He hid from God. The first thing that poisoned the universe was shame. The second thing Adam did is blamed his wife. Thank you, Jamie. And that's the human story ever since our exile from Eden. Our disobedience continues to poison God's good world with shame and blame. Read the paper, look at your family. 
Back to 1 John. In these verses, John points to the future return of King Jesus. The Greek word for his return is parousa. This is number two Greek word. Can you say it with me? Parousa. Meaning royal appearance. Think Lord of the Rings, the return of the king. There will be two reactions to the parousa of King Jesus. Some will shrink back in shame as Adam did in the garden. Others, what does the verse say? They will draw near to him with bold joy, confidence, freedom, and courage. By the way, the Greek word for that is parousia, and scholars believe he's using a word play. We will have parousia, freedom and joy and confidence, at the parousa, the royal appearing of Jesus. Is that cool? I mean, I'm sorry, I'm nerding out on a little bit here. Why will they have such confidence and joy and freedom? Because they already know the king. He's no stranger to them. They have been abiding in him, dwelling in him, making their home in him through the ups and downs of their everyday lives. They know he is the same king who in his first royal appearance came in humility to take their shame upon himself. And on that first Good Friday, he was crowned with thorns and enthroned on a cruel Roman cross. He rose from the grave and before ascending to the Father, Jesus declared all authority in heaven and the earth has been given to me. Therefore, until I return, y'all go and make apprentices of me. And remember this, I am with you to the very end of this age. And this is the mission of his church until his royal appearing to make apprentices of Jesus who are learning to abide in him. That's our mission. That's why we're on this planet still. So John, 1 John 2, 29 Please read with me. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been fathered by him. What's the character of this king? Righteousness. Righteousness. is basically the word righteousness means right relatedness. All his relationships are marked by integrity and justice, mercy and kindness and love. John's point is if you've been born of this God, you will reflect his character in your everyday relationships. Your life will be marked by integrity, justice, mercy, kindness, and love. The Apostle John was likely writing to a group of house churches in pagan Ephesus. Scholars believe there was a divisive group in Ephesus that had embraced a non-biblical dualism, a Gnostic philosophy that separated faith from ethics spirituality from everyday embodied living. And John declares that it's impossible to separate the spiritual and the material world. Those who are born of God actually behave differently, John says. <laughs> they become more and more like the character of their father. Friends, our new birth starts a lifelong journey of transformation, of choosing to be changed by over and over again, choosing to be changed by Jesus. Can you read this? Verse, verse 1 of chapter 3. Look at the remarkable love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children. And that, indeed, is what we are. In the Greek, it literally really reads, Behold, from what country is this? From where does this kind of remarkable, lavish love come? 
It seems so foreign in our world. It's a love that gives us a new name, a new identity, a new belonging, a new calling. Friends, God is a good, good Father. Amen? For all who trust His Son, He freely adopts us into His multi-ethnic, multi-generational family that goes back to the first century. He gives us a new birth into a new life and a new life that continues from this age into the age to come. And with this adoption comes a new family of brothers and sisters. Look around at your siblings because you're stuck with them. Come on, look around. Better get along because you're stuck with them for this age and the age to come. Some of you may not want to be Christians now. This is a picture of my grandpa, Admiral Paul Fleming Dugan, born 1899, died 1972. I have the privilege of being his eldest grandson and bearing his name. Admiral Dugan was the personification of the greatest generation. A man of faithfulness, honor, service, and duty to his family, his community, and his nation. During World War II, he was one of the captains who commanded a fleet of landing craft, bringing the first Marines to liberate the Philippines in Leyte Gulf. That's Paul Dugan on the left, and to his left is General Omar Bradley. I'm sorry, I get choked up. Following his retirement, he was highly respected for his civic service in the San Diego community. Paul F. Dugan was not just the admiral. He was my grandpa. I had a place in grandpa's house. He stepped into my life when, as a very young boy, I lost my father to mental illness. I had a place, not only in my grandpa's house, but at his huge dining room table. He sat from this far in, and grandma sat in this far in, and I got to sit at his right hand. I have so many good memories of the Admiral taking me to the San Diego Zoo and Balboa Park. Anybody been to Balboa Park? I don't know if they still have it, but Balboa Park has one of those narrow gauge trains for kids. Picture a Navy Admiral packing his body into a little kid's train and riding with around Balboa Park. That was my memory of riding the train with the Admiral. And the Admiral was a man of deep Christian faith, occasionally took me to Mass. Even though I didn't have a clue what was happening in the service, I felt that his God must be good because Grandpa is good. And he loves and reverences this God, so this God must be good. Why do I share my grandpa's story? Through my life, especially through the highs and lows of navigating the journey from boyhood into adulthood, my relationship with my grandpa gave me ballast. Now that's a Navy term. You know what ballast means? Balance, weight, stability, groundedness, support. How much more does your relationship with your heavenly Father bring you ballast through the stormy waters of your life? Amen? You have the everyday ballast of being made the object 
of your father's extraordinary love of bearing his name. As I bear my father's grandpa's name, you bear your father's name in this world. And so read it again with me with passion. Look at the remarkable love the father has given us that we should be called God's children. Let's continue. That is why the world doesn't know us because it doesn't know him. John is saying, this is why the world doesn't get us. They didn't get him. When God made himself most clearly known as Jesus of Nazareth, he lived as an exile in this world. He was misunderstood, maligned, rejected, and eventually executed. Why do you think we should get better treatment? We will never fully belong because we are children of another king, friends. Can somebody be saying amen to that? So would you like to pause and affirm the Father's love right now? We're not finished, but I just wanted to pause and do some gospel exchange. Yes, Pastor Paul, I would love to do that. <laughs> Repeat after me if you'd like. I reject the lie that my worth is dependent on being understood, respected, or applauded by this world. I embrace the truth that my identity and worth come from my good, good father, who has adopted me into his good, good family. Amen. Read it with me, beloved ones. We are now already God's children, yet it hasn't been revealed what we're going to be. John is now bringing us into the sacred tension in which you and I live as God's image bearers in this world. Theologians call this the already and not yet of the kingdom of God. Can I just nerd out theologically with you for a few minutes, please? Thank you. In the time of Jesus, most faithful Jews viewed the world in two separate eras or, or ages, the present age and the age to come. Let me reverse that because the, the circles, this is the present age. The present age was understood as an era of sin and deception and death and oppression and injustice. This is the kingdom of man. The Jewish hope was that the Messiah would come at the end of this age and bring in the kingdom of God, the age of knowledge of God, righteousness, justice, and peace. And for Jews in the first century Palestine, the age to come necessitated that they would be delivered from their pagan overlords, the brutal Romans. This is how they viewed history and their place in it. You guys with me? But Jesus did not follow this script. Jesus came in the middle of the present dark age, announcing that the kingdom of God is at hand, but instead of restoring the victorious Davidic kingdom and making Israel great again, Jesus was content with obscurity, working among the margins, touching and healing unclean people, releasing those captive to demonic powers, eating with the wrong kind of people and calling a small band of misfits, just like us, to leave everything and follow him. 
He taught about the kingdom of God as if it was incognito, like a seed buried in the ground, like a speck of yeast and flour, like a treasure hidden in a field. But most troubling to his hearers, he predicted that God's kingdom would come through suffering, rejection, death, and resurrection. And they had no framework for a rejected Messiah. They didn't have the gears. And so they rejected him. What an irony. They rejected him for being a rejected Messiah. And see this diagram, you could see instead of the two separate circles, there's an overlap. And that's where we live in that in-between overlap of the ages, between the first royal appearance of our Savior and his coming return. We have tasted the blessings of his kingdom come, but we still live in an age of deceit, sin, evil, injustice, and death, and grief. I could go on. But when he returns, he will judge the world and bring in the fullness of his kingdom, righteousness, and peace. Do you long for that? This is the present tension of my life and yours in this world, the already and not yetness of not just the world, but of my soul. I have the tension inside of my soul. Can anybody relate to that? There's so much that's already but not yet in me. This helps me make sense of my life in this world. Back to 1 John. Why did I do that theological? That was only three minutes, by the way. <laughs> Cul-de-sac is John reminds us of what it means to live faithfully in this present overlap. Can you read it with me? Beloved ones, we are now already God's children, yet it hasn't yet been revealed what we are going to be. We know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him make themselves pure just as he is pure. You see, the already of the kingdom is that if you put your trust in Jesus, you are already right now, right here, you have a new identity. Is that good news? You belong to the Father. You are His beloved daughter, His beloved son, and you belong here. You have a community of siblings. Quite a motley crew, but still, a community of siblings in Christ. No one can take this away from you. Is that good news? This is the already. But there's a not yet. God is not finished with us. We still await His final royal parousa. We will then see him as he is, and that vision will transform us, and we will become like him. Can I say it again? We will become like our resurrected Lord as his new creations restored in order to rule in his new creation. Eden restored. Is that good news? This is our living hope, and according to John, this hope transforms us here and now, making us more like Him, more and more pure as He is pure. The biblical word for pure is simply unmixed. Kierkegaard famously defined it this way, purity of heart is to will one thing. It's to align your desires and affections with Jesus' desires and affections, to want what He wants. That's what a pure heart is. To set your affections on his kingdom, not your own. Jesus was unmixed, undistracted in his love. He loved the Father with a radical, focused, exclusive love. 
Jesus said the whole law can be summed up in a pure, unmixed love, loving God with our whole being, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor. And friends, how does this love grow in our lives? As we abide in Christ. So, I'm going to land the plane. As I near retirement, I've been thinking more and more about my own mortality. <laughs> Does anybody do that here? <laughs> Let's just say I am blessed to live to the ripe age of 85. There's no guarantees, right? That's just 20 years, and I did the numbers. That's just 240 months. That's just 7,300 days. In the language of John, that's just 7,300 abidable, abidable days. At the beginning of the sermon, I quoted author Tim Wu of the Intention Merchants, who, after his research on our digital habits, said, we are not that great about paying attention to what we decide to pay attention to. Friends, the choice is yours. You have the freedom to choose what you pay attention to. Can I say that again? You have the freedom to choose what you pay attention to. You have the freedom to choose what you abide in. And what you abide in is the person you become. So here's my question this morning. What are you abiding in? Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who abides in me and I am him bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nada. Practically speaking, what does it look like to abide in, to remain in, to dwell in Jesus through your week? I used to start my day with Jesus, but then went on autopilot for the rest of the day. Living on my own steam, my own strength, my own effort and smarts, and then the next day I'd have a quiet time, and then I'd live on my own steam. Recently, Jesus revealed a hard but loving truth to me during a very stressful season. Literally, he spoke to me at the foot of my bed as I woke up totally stressed. Paul. <laughs> He's speaking again. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect timing. Paul, the choice is yours. And, and he said this with kindness. You can either do this on your own or we can do this together. This being your life. <laughs> and there's this long, kind pause. And then he said... But if we're going to do this together, you will have to invite me into everything. I'm a gentleman. I will not force my way into your life. The choice is yours. That was the end of the conversation. So from that conversation on, I made a change in the way I live my life. I began to start my day with Jesus, as I did before, but now I endeavor to invite him in in advance into every part of my day. This is what it means to abide. I'm just sharing with you what it means for me to abide. Specifically, I've found it helpful to pray through my day backwards. I don't know why that's so important to me, but 
I start with the end of the day. As I'm praying in the morning, I start with the end of the day and invite Jesus into my going to bed. And I say, Jesus, when I finish this day, I pray that I would be ready to rest, knowing that you are God and I am not, that you are good, that I've seen you and I've heard you, and that I'd be able to just release the day. That's, I start with the end, and then I work back, and I invite Jesus into my evening. Tonight, Lord, as I'm spending time with Kathy, help me to be present. I back up. On my commute, I have this beautiful commute from, to Los Osos. Meet me in that time. And I, my afternoon and my meetings, Jesus, I invite you into that meeting, and I invite you into that decision and into that, that interview. And, and, and right back, I work my way backwards to the present moment. And this has changed my life. Nothing is too mundane for Jesus. Nothing is too ordinary, too messy, or too awkward to invite Jesus into. This prayer is changing my life. Guess what I've learned? Jesus loves to be invited in. (laughs) He loves to answer this prayer. I now see him at work more than ever before. I now hear his voice more than ever before. I now experience his presence more than ever before because I've already invited him in. Everything becomes holy ground, holy time, holy opportunities, holy relationships when you invite Jesus into it, friends. But he's a gentleman. The choice is yours. Another way I'm learning to abide in Jesus is let his word abide in me by turning it into prayer. I sincerely believe more than ever after 44 years in ministry that you only really know the parts of the Bible that you've prayed into your life. I believe that with all my heart. So would you like to pray the Bible right now? Let's do it. I'm going to pray the first slide and then I'm going to invite you to pray after me on the second slide. And I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward as we prayer. Lord Jesus, I desire to abide in you every day, not just Sunday. It's all sacred ground to you. I desire to remain in intimate fellowship with you, not just right now in this hour, but every hour. And then at your royal appearing, I will not shrink back from you in shame. Instead, I will draw near to you, full of courage, joy, and confidence. Lord Jesus, I know you are righteous. I desire to practice living in your righteousness. Please pray this, if you like, after me. Oh, Father, how great is your love for us. That you call us your beloved children. Lord Jesus, this world does not recognize us because they did not recognize you. Thank you that you are not finished with us. Lord Jesus, at your royal appearing, you will be fully unveiled. We will see you as you truly are in all your beauty and majesty. And that vision will transform us. We will become like you. 
This is our eager expectation. To see you, to know you, to become like you. Let us worship. If you can relate to that, the angst of being in the now and the not yet, I would love to stand with you in prayer. Just pray with you in that tension that you're in. It would be my honor. I think I get it. (laughs) And also, if you'd like to abide in the Psalms, abiding in Jesus by praying that 3,000-year-old prayer book into your life, uh, please join me in the Psalms. Sign up 
out at the Welcome Center. Join us. There's a house across the street with a white picket fence, and that's the church offices, and behind it, every Sunday morning, we unpack the sermon together and build new friendships. It's called Table Talk. May the grace of our Lord Jesus and the love of God the Father and the koinonia, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with y'all. Amen? Amen. Have a blessed day. Beautiful day. Pastor Paul Dugan is the pastor of Mission and Discipleship at Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 10.40 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Farrell Road, Grover Beach, California. For more information, visit our website, www.mycoastal.org. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you have a great week.